All right. Welcome back to the latest episode of the So Close Yet So Far pod with Andrew King and Zach McVeigh. Today, we're going to be talking a lot of college football. The college football season just wrapped up on Monday with Alabama finishing their really just tear of a season in 2020 um, behind Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, and those guys. Beating Ohio State 52 to 24, I believe it was. Uh, what were some of your thoughts on the game, Zach? Yeah, I thought that it was a it was a really fun game. Um, we all kind of knew that Alabama was the better team, but Ohio State really hung with them there for the first half. And just watching Devontae Smith do his thing was uh, made the game so entertaining. The game in the fourth quarter it was already it was already over, but those first two quarters were fast paced and a lot of fun to watch. So I thought it was, I thought it was a good national championship overall. Alabama cemented his legacy and. Ohio State put up a good fight for a while. Yeah, and coming into the game, two of two of Ohio State's starting defensive linemen um, out with COVID issues. And so you really noticed that a little bit more later on um, as Bama really did pull away. It was fun. Justin Fields, he they, they didn't get off to a great start, um, but he was he he made big plays to keep him in the game in the first half. And it was it was gonna be a near impossible task to keep up with that Alabama offense for four whole quarters and they couldn't do it. But yeah, and another thing that was really fun, no, no one was doubting Devontae Smith's Heisman win, but that first half performance was just, I don't know. That was just the coolest thing to see receiver wins the Heisman for the first time when a couple years ago we were talking, is a running back ever going to win again? Is anyone but a quarterback ever going to win again? Devontae Smith wins it and just puts on a first half for, for the ages, really. I mean, I don't think he was going to finish with 400 yards if he didn't get, if he didn't, um, hurt that finger but that it was insane just an awesome performance by him backed up the Heisman um, completely in my opinion yeah for sure and it's almost like how is this one guy this much better than every single other person on the field like it was just so apparent that this guy is unstoppable you can put three guys on him it doesn't matter which the problem is you can't because Alabama will just run the ball with Najee Harris but it was just so apparent how much better Devontae Smith was than anybody that was trying to cover him and also good for him for uh, uh, backing up the Heisman. And he also won the player of the game only playing one half, which probably has never been done before. And I doubt we'll ever see again. So good accomplishment yeah. for him. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think one of my main thoughts, um, obviously on, I think it was this, I don't even know how many, if he had two or three touchdowns, but on the one where Ohio State had that poor linebacker lined up on him one-on-one -on -one when he just took him deep and, like you said, that that run game, a lot of the first half, Ohio State was coming out 4D linemen, four linebacker or three linebackers in a, a bigger defensive back that could really help try to stop the run. And it's a it's a lose-lose battle if you're going to pick to either try to stop Najee Harris or if you're going to try to stop Devontae Smith and those wide receivers. But you, you have to stop the run game against Alabama. Everyone knows that. And they Alabama found some really good good opportunities. That's something I think I've said a lot about Ohio or Alabama this whole season with Steve Sarkeesian. He finds a way to force his best players to get the ball as many times as possible. There's no reason if you have a superstar receiver, they shouldn't get 15 plus targets a game unless that team is just completely putting two, three guys on them to keep him quiet. You know, and that's something I love with um, the motion, getting Devontae Smith, those easy catches. That's a quick outside run for eight to 10 yards, but it's just a quick little dump out pass. Um, and it's just creative ways to, get your best player the ball. And I think that was the story for Alabama season um, really this whole year with Harris and Smith. Right. And they talked about how good uh, Sarkeesian's 
play design was on the broadcast, but also just watch Devontae Smith. He's the fastest guy on the field. He's the quickest guy on the field. And Alabama's offensive coordinator, Sarkeesian, is giving him a head start using that motion. How are you supposed to guard the fastest guy, the quickest guy on the field, when he has a head start in motion and he's already got a couple steps on you before the ball is even snapped? And I think exactly. that's a genius way. Um, they, they ran on the goal line, like you said, and you run a little out on the goal line and he, he's faster than you there and then he's faster than you to the corner and it's an easy touchdown. And I just love love that play design that, that they did so many times this whole year. And you, you, we can dial it up to the NFL where we just talked about last week those one-yard touchdowns that Aaron Rodgers and those guys throw on the, down on the goal line. And you're seeing that in the college game. And um, I'm sure Devontae Smith is going to catch his fair share of two, three-yard touchdowns in the NFL. Um, because if you can get your best and your fastest player a legit head start, there's no, there's no reason he's not going to score those every single time. Right. And uh, Devontae Smith is great, but also watching Najee Harris just fight off two, three Ohio State linebackers and defensive line every play. They were getting to him. There's three or four times where in the backfield you're like, wow, like great play by Ohio State. And Najee gets five, six, seven yards. And they're on schedule like we talked about. Alabama just always stays on schedule. And one of my favorite things about this game, and just watching Alabama all year, was when they show, they show the end zone view of Najee Harris running the ball. And the way that he slides across the line of scrimmage, he slides, 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 and then bam, just picks his hole. And he, he's so patient, and then he picks his hole so well. And when they show that end zone view, you can really see um, – how good, how good his vision is and how good he is at sliding across the line of scrimmage and then picking the correct hole. That, that, was just, that was just really cool to see him do it in the championship game against the great defense that Ohio State has. Yeah, and one of our favorite running backs from way back in the day, not way back in the day, but his days at Michigan State, Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon, that's what Le'Veon Bell was known for um, and is really one of the first guys I grew up seeing that was just that patient runner in terms of we, – we talk about a lot these rookie running backs getting to the NFL and – the speed of the game, they, hit, they try to hit the hole too hard. And you don't see guys um, that often that are just somehow just biding their time until something opens up and just they, they take off. And um, you see a lot of that with Najee Harris. And it's like Najee Harris is a different – Le'Veon Bell's a great player and he's, he's, he's had um, great seasons. But Najee Harris is a different kind of guy. He's a different animal. And so to see him with that patience, um, it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up um, in the NFL draft because he's ready to go right now. Right, and he's another one of these Alabama running backs that he's he's had a great year and a half and hasn't taken too much beating. Um, yeah, he's gotten a, a lot of carries these past year and a half, but but not an overly amount to where NFL teams are afraid of him. So another another uh, example of these Alabama running backs biding their time, having one great year, and then off the NFL where they terrorize uh, more players. Exactly, and that that's kind of what it's about, and even that's something I've noted that high school running backs that they're thinking about that when they pick their college choice, they don't, they don't, not everybody wants to start three plus years because the number one goal is how can I get to the NFL? And these, these superstar running backs, they're they're You can't, you can't hate on the decision at all because it's, it's smart for their, their, the present and the future on these guys. And so we'll see how it works out with Najee Harris. Um, I'd love to see him in a place like green Bay or something, just, tearing it up with a great, great um, pass game. And just because I, I'm not sure he goes early first round. Um, Cause like we've said that the running back value isn't um, I guess where it is with receivers nowadays, but he's, he's going to make a massive impact week one or in his rookie season. But I guess let's kind of turn this into what the major discussion today is going to be about. And we saw Alabama this year, an offense 
that was just absolutely unstoppable. And it, and it makes us forget, I think, what we saw with LSU last season. Um, their 15-0 team led by Joe Burrow, um, Clyde Edwards-Elaire, Justin Jefferson, those guys. I, I think they're better. Um, Zach, you don't have the same opinion, but we're going to break it down just because I think we're it, – it's very interesting to see now that we've entered the day of Alabama and LSU putting up 50 points a game. It's still, it's still kind of weird to me. Yeah, um, good for good for both of these coaching staffs for changing and and being with the times. But yeah, I think that this Alabama team would beat the team from LSU last year. Obviously, both these teams are fantastic, and anything we say uh, comparing these two teams are splitting hairs over the next uh, over this next discussion. Both these teams are great. Both can definitely be in the top top all time discussion, um, but just an exciting discussion to have, and also really cool that it happened back to back years um, for both of these teams. Yeah, and I personally think the fact that these teams played back-to-back years validates my point. Not not that I'm saying I'm right, but we look at when we look at LSU um, and and Alabama and what Alabama. Let's just look at Alabama. What Alabama's done the last two years. This is this is a different kind of discussion. But we look at the 2019 Alabama team. They were playing four first-round picks at wide receiver. That's absolutely insane. With a first-round quarterback and another first-round quarterback on the bench. Um, and just that in itself, just tip your hat to Nick, Nick Saban. We'll, we'll touch on Nick Saban later, but the absolute just embarrassment of riches they have in Tuscaloosa. Um, and you can even throw that Alabama team from last year in the discussion, um, in my opinion, with, with Tua. But I, I don't know, just, just seeing what LSU was able to do. And honestly, my, my number one um, thing for, for LSU was that they beat that Alabama team last year in Alabama, packed house in Tuscaloosa. I, I feel like a packed house, we don't even remember what that looks like in 2020. And if, if, any, if there's any environments where it's going to change anything, it's going to be in the SEC. Um, and that was the game of the year last year. Number one, LSU goes into Tuscaloosa and knocks off LSU or Alabama. And that was like, a, I think it was a six, seven point win for LSU, but LSU was up 12 with a minute 10 to go. And then Devonte Smith had an 80 yard touchdown. We should have known what was coming this year. Um, but yeah, I just, I just think what LSU was able to do for 15 straight weeks last year, um, they didn't slip up once. And yes, Alabama didn't slip up this year. Uh, but just the longevity, the, the normalness of that season, I, I think it actually makes it harder than it was this year, despite all of the COVID things, um, that we've seen teams have to try to dodge this year, essentially. Yeah, I mean, like we've said, LSU was great last year, but Alabama this year only had one game that was within one possession, and the second closest game was 15 points against Ole Miss, which was never that close. And even their their one game that was a one-possession game was against Florida, who was another great team. And that whole game, they are up by two touchdowns. And it was just nobody, nobody could hang with Alabama all year. If you gave them – if you did not stop them – and two possessions in a row, they were they weren't they they scored on sixty two percent of their offensive possessions this year. It was almost impossible to stop them. Um, their defense is their offense is great. Their defense is still really good. And I just point to how there was never a single moment all year with Alabama where you thought, oh man, like are they going to lose this game? There was never a moment when watching Alabama, I thought they were going to lose the game. And if we remember, LSU struggled against Texas, a Texas team that was a good team but not a great team last year. And during that game, you thought, oh, wait, is, is LSU really going to lose? And that was early in the season. We really didn't know how good LSU was. We didn't know how good 
Texas was yet, but that was a game where they struggled last year and Alabama just never had any of those games this year. Yeah. And I, I think part of that was because in week two, when, when LSU went down to Austin, nobody knew the LSU team we were about to see. And that, and that's another reason I'll, I'll, I'll give LSU even more props. No one, nobody saw this coming from Joe Burrow that he did last year, over 5,600 passing yards, third most all time, only between, only behind two uh, former Texas tech quarterbacks and 60 touchdown passes, most all time and only six interceptions. We saw it every single week from Joe Burrow. He took the four top awards um, in college football, the Heisman, the Davey O'Brien, the Maxwell, and there's one other, don't remember it, somebody, somebody's name. He, he took, Joe Burrow was the guy this year or, or last year. And De- Devontae Smith, yes, he's not a quarterback. That's why I guess you could say he wasn't the guy. But when I look at LSU from 2019, they had a better quarterback than Alabama had this year, and they had a better defense than Alabama had this year. And to me, I'm fine with Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall and Clyde edwards Lair. Like, like we've said, they're both great teams. Um, but the better quarterback, the better defense, in my opinion. And part of the reason of that is, is honestly just age. You know, um, LSU had a lot of older guys on that defense, as we've seen from this year, their, their absolute insane drop-off. Um, where Alabama, I'll give Alabama credit. They've had two true freshmen starting for them all, all season. And so that, that's not something that's been easy to do with a lot of young guys with COVID. Um, but yeah, that the, the Joe Burrow is my, I, I can't, you can't bet against Joe Burrow. He was the best. That was the best season I've ever seen. And I, I don't think it'll be close for it. It'll, it'll take a while for, I think for someone to, to, to top what he did in 2019. That is one of the most fun things about both of these teams that we're talking about is both these quarterbacks, Mac Jones and Joe Burrow, were kind of under the radar to start. And by the end of the season, they had the best years in the SEC and in the country. Um, and that made that's what kind of made this Alabama team fun, is they were never underdogs, but because they had Mac Jones, who wasn't the, the biggest recruit, nobody had really heard of him, you kind of felt like they weren't the, at least in the beginning of the season, they weren't the normal Alabama powerhouse. Like you said, they had a lot of freshmen starting. They had a quarterback that you didn't really know the name. And so... Both both these teams having having the quarterback that kind of came out of nowhere made these these teams fun. But I think just having Alabama having the best quarterback in the country, stats wise, he's probably not better than Trevor Lawrence, but stats wise, having the best receiver and having the best running back in the country. LSU's defense was great last year, but they were not stopping this Alabama offense. And I think this offense as a whole, maybe you give the edge to Joe Burrow, but the offense as a whole is better than LSU's was. Ah, I and, don't know. I right, don't well, know, they, they keep going. So they averaged forty nine points a game. LSU averaged only forty eight. So that basically wins the argument right there. I'm just <laughs> kidding, but uh, they played an all SEC schedule. LSU got to play Northwestern State and another uh, small school last year to kind of pad the stats. Alabama had no no schools that they were padding the stats against this year. So you kind of have to remember that Alabama played. Less games and with no teams that could just – I mean, imagine if Najee Harris and Devontae Smith got to play against the Citadel this year. They would have put up 500 yards each in the first half and been done. And so not even having that to pad the stats, also you kind of got to take into account. Okay, I, that, that's fair. But, but my reasoning will also – Go right with yours. Thank you for setting that up for perfectly for me, Zach. Where I just I think the reason LSU is better is because the SEC was better last season. 
this year, what do we've got? We've got, we've got Alabama, obviously. Texas A&M, really good season. Kellen Mond um, and those guys, their senior year, finally put it together. You've got Georgia. I, I don't put Georgia up there because for six of the ten games this season, Georgia played with a walk-on quarterback, and that was against Alabama, where they, 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 that walk-on quarterback put up 24 against Alabama. Um, and then you've got Florida. Florida, amazing offense. No one is doubting that. Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts, uh, Kadarius Toney. I, I wish they didn't lose that game to LSU this year um, because that SEC championship would have been absolutely nuts. Um, and I, they, th those are really your teams. LSU was down this year. Not a really good year for Auburn at all. Chad Morris comes in as Zach knows. Everything Chad Morris touched, he blows That's it so up. True. Chad Morris, Gus Miles, <laughs> those guys get fired. Um, and where you look last year at LSU, Bo Nix was having a really good year. Part of it was because that defense was, was insane um, with Derek Brown, Marlon Davidson, Auburn had one of the best, if not the best, front seven in the SEC last year. Georgia, Jake Fromm, those guys. Georgia was a lot better last year. And LSU played all those teams last year. LSU had a four-week stretch of, of um, Georgia. No, it wasn't. Dang it. I forgot. They had Alabama. They had Auburn. They had Mississippi State. And they had one other ranked team they played. And that that's something where... There was a stretch, and maybe part of it's because we didn't expect LSU to go 15-0 preseason. But just watching them, what seemed like every week going against the top 10 SEC team and not just beating them, Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and those guys were putting 40-50 on them every single week. Um, and it was shocking to see. It was just shocking. And, and that's where I don't think the SEC was as deep this year. LSU obviously had all the opt-outs. They were not a good team this year. Um, Mississippi State was not any good. Ole Miss – I, Ole Miss, Arkansas, maybe those are two teams you could say were better this year. Um, but for the most part at the top, um, the SEC had three really, really good teams this year. And one, they had three really good teams, one great team. Um, and I just think the SEC was deeper in 2019. And, and LSU, like I said, I think they deserve some credit for going into a packed house in Tuscaloosa and beating Tua in four first round, five first round wide receiver picks and a running back. You know, um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see the narrative of the Bama team last year when with all the, after all these guys get drafted. Um, and I think that's just going to make what LSU did even more impressive. Right. And so you keep talking about how Alabama has four first round wide receiver picks. And that's so true. They have four amazing receivers, but if all four of these receivers left college last year, they wouldn't have all been first round picks just to be fair to, to the team that, that LSU beat. Yes. They turned into great receivers and they were really good last year, but not all four would have been first round picks. Do you agree with that? I don't fully because I think Devontae Smith was going to be borderline first round. And I mean, Jalen Waddle was a sophomore, so Jalen Waddle couldn't have couldn't have come out last year. But if he could, I think he still would have been. Um, but I, I've I've been a massive Jalen Waddle fan for about five, six years now. So I'm, I'm definitely biased. But there, there were some surprises when Devontae came back last year. And obviously, he made the right decision. Um, but I, I do. I can, can also completely agree that Devontae Smith was a different monster than he was in. Along with Najee Harris was too. He also got a lot better. They all. 100. Patrick Sertan got a lot better. They, Patrick Sertan would shut down Jamar Chase. Are you kidding me? I, I can't even respond to that. I can't even respond to that. I, I hope they get drafted to the same division because we're going to archive that line. We're going to archive that line. Um, but yeah, Sertan did get better. Sertan's going to be a stud. We'll see if the Cowboys draft him. 
Um, and like we said at the beginning, I, I this Alabama team this year is absolutely incredible. Um, they could have six plus first round picks here in a few months um, or whenever the draft is this year. But I, I like I've said, I, I feel like I've made my case for for LSU. Um, they did it week in and week out against what I thought was a better SEC. Um, and Joe Burrow put up a performance quite literally for the ages. And one thing I saw this morning, this doesn't really have to do with our argument um, here, but it was Joe Burrow talking about um, there's a, uh, it was before the national championship, um, a baby and a reporter had a baby picture of him. And she was like, what would you say to this, this kid? If you could talk to him right now, he said, I tell him he's a national champion. And just that kind of that, that moxie, that energy that we all remember from Joe Burrow last year um, that he carried throughout the season was just something that uh, I miss a lot. I miss that so much because he was talking, he was doing his thing, but he was, he was playing like nobody else. And um, then you got Mac Jones, who, who apparently eats 10 cookies every night. That's what he, that's what he said this week. Yeah. So, nobody can, tell, nobody can I, I, argue how cool Joe Burrow is. Joe Burrow was the coolest guy. He had everybody all over him. He knew he was the best. He bet on himself and became the best, but also there's, there's something to be said for um, Mac Jones. We saw the pictures on Twitter circulating. He's a, he's a little chunky. He eats 10 cookies a night. Um, good for him. He's a, he's a stud. He can do that. He needs to put on some weight. The other picture that was circulating was Devontae Smith with his arms down to his knees, looking like an alien. And it's like, how are these two dudes wrecking college football? Unstoppable. And so, yeah, Joe Burrow was the coolest guy ever. That It was, it was fun. But it's also fun to see these two kind of an unlikely pair, a 6'2", 175-pound kid and and the quarterback that nobody, everybody wanted a different quarterback to start over him. It's fun to see these two guys tearing up college football whenever it wasn't wasn't as expected. Oh yeah, my my respect for Mac Jones only went up after I saw heard, heard about his cookies. And then yeah, I I don't know how Devonte Smith's just legs for arms haven't been more known until before the before the national championship game like i i mean i guess i i wasn't shocked he was he's a lanky guy i mean he's really skinny um but oh my god his his hands almost touch his knees like he said and um i mean i saw a stat the a couple weeks ago that talked about how um how great Devonte smith is against press coverage like he's better than um justin jefferson was last year he's better than jamar chase was last year and i'm like that's that's kind of interesting for a guy who's really skinny. Well, makes sense. It's quite literally impossible to get your hands on Devontae Smith if he's got his hands on you, which, wow, yeah, that's that's very, very crazy. It really goes to the specimen he is, but the most average-looking specimen you could probably right. ever and see. To your point about getting off press coverage, we saw the broadcast did a good job of showing uh, Sean Wade was pressed up onto him. I think it was the, like late in the first quarter, and he ran a go route. And he, he, he faked he faked inside and then quick as lightning popped to the outside. Sean Wade didn't know what hit him. He put his arms out and Devontae Smith was already two yards behind him and then just ran right by him because he was faster than him and he couldn't catch up. And so, yeah, Devontae Smith has the longest arms ever. But also, he's just so quick. Like, you could you can't touch him. And if you do, his arms, like you said, are like an alien and, and can uh, get by it. But I also want to see Devontae Smith on a basketball court. He's built like Allen Iverson, like how Allen Iverson's – Arms were so long. I wonder if Devontae Smith has some some high school basketball history. Oh, he's got to. Wow, I didn't even think of that. You and he just looks like he looks like a basketball player. Like when you said that, he's a skinny, athletic freak. He should he he should be on a basketball court, but he's he's just he's too tough for that. But wow, that's 
It's yeah, he's he's that. what Allen Iverson would have been if, if he picked football. Is Allen Iverson's a little shorter, but that's that's my comparison. But the last point I'll make about this this game and these two teams is is the trump card. The 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 thing that that matters more than almost anything else I think is Alabama has Nick Saban, the greatest coach that college football has ever seen. And he, he this is his first undefeated team since 09. Nick Saban did everything right in this crazy year. Um, he kept the team on track. And I think that he's a 10 times better coach than Ogeron. I think that it during this game with two teams that, as we've, as we've noted, are pretty even, I think Nick Saban is the X factor, and he would outcoach Ogeron with this team. I, I will give you that. Ed, Ed is not half the coach Nick Saban is. But if we're if we're if these teams are playing, Joe Brady's on that sideline, and I'm, I'm taking my chances with Joe Brady um, as the coordinator. And and Ed Ed can muddle the uh, the halftime speech. Go Tigers! You know my name's Ed. But he's a funny guy. I love I love him. But I'll give you that because Nick Saban. If if we're going offense, defense, coaching, that's probably the widest gap between the two. Um, just just in what Nick Saban brings in to this hypothetical college football heavenly matchup. Maybe one day we'll, we'll see it. Um, but yeah, it, I, I give Saban that and we'll, we can use that. One of the last things we we're going to talk about too today is where does Nick Saban go from here? You know, my opinion was Nick Saban was the greatest coach all time before this title. He was tied with Bear Bryant with seven and now he's got eight. He's sitting, he's sitting alone at the top there. There's been all the jokes that Nick Saban is, how how so many of us were when we used to always play NCAA and you know in dynasty mode you you win too much and you decide to go to a school like Wyoming just to have some fun and that that seems like where Nick Saban is in his career like where does he go from here um he's he's accomplished everything and more and Bama's not going anywhere that that's that's yeah I think thing. this has to be one of the it's kind of it was kind of seen the last few days like it talked about how how happy Nick Saban was and how he was smiling more than other championships I think that it had to be a little bit fun for him for it to not fun because we're in a pandemic and everything, but this presented a challenge they'd never had to deal with before. And as a great coach, he, he almost overcome every other challenge. And so having this new challenge with the pandemic, with having to get his players to buy into all these new roles had to be a, a, a challenge that excited him, even though we were going through a horrible time um, this whole year. I completely agree. And that's something where, while I said in our 2019 LSU versus 2020 Bama team, where I give LSU more credit because they, they played against the packed crowd in Tuscaloosa and things like that. But for all the pro sports and college sports teams that win championships this year, this is something that is completely different mentally to what I, I feel like we've ever seen. Um, you saw it a lot in post-game interviews with, with Alabama players and just every single guy was talking about the discipline of this team. And yeah, you always hear that kind of stuff from, from guys after they win a championship, but let, let's think about what these guys have, have had to do really for the last five plus six, six months, however long it's been since the season started. And I, I noticed this after Ohio state's kicker, I think it was didn't get to play because of COVID. And he posted something on his Instagram and he talked about, I don't think people understand that I literally haven't seen my family or friends in over four months, none of us have because they've literally just had to stay isolated together in Columbus or in Tuscaloosa or wherever. That's the only way they have a chance to play this season. 
And for what all of these college football players have really been able to do, um, I, there's no way it's easy. And um, like you said, completely agree. As for Saban, this is another this is another challenge for him. And he, he especially it, he uh, these players in Tuscaloosa, where I know Alabama had a lot of cases on that campus. You know, uh, Tuscaloosa students kind of like to get out and party and, and collaborate and, and spread that virus. And so especially in Tuscaloosa to, to stay firm. And really, they didn't have many guys that had COVID. Nick Saban was the highest profile guy on that team to get COVID, um, which who knows how he got it. But just again, props to these players um, for getting through this whole season and, and being such a tight team. And, and props to Nick Saban for steering the ship and getting them through it. Exactly. And that's where I think you got to give so many props to these other teams that maybe had surprise really good years. All that tells me is that these guys bought in, these guys stayed focused. And I guess you could say certain teams got hit by COVID worse, um, depending on who got the, who got the virus or who was out for a couple games or who opted out. Um, but these locker rooms were tested. There's no doubt about that. Each and every one of those guys were tested and just, I mean, cause let's think about how we feel like our lives have been affected these last five months, but none of us are actually being kept from anything where these guys have are essentially have a choice to play the season and don't do anything else or live a somewhat normal life like the rest of us. And so right. it's a big I don't think you can place sure. blame on any team for getting COVID because as we've seen, it's just so easy to get it. So easy to spread. You can't blame Ohio state for their COVID troubles, but you can give credit to those teams that stayed away and you can give credit to the teams that, that handled this season uh, better than other teams. And, and you can give credit to the teams that didn't have as many cases. And I think that that, you, they they should be they should be celebrated for not maybe not having as many COVID cases as other schools. Exactly, and that's where you can look at um, a team like LSU, for example. I mean, just talking about them, a team with huge turnover, coordinator changes, just about the whole starting twenty two is different, and it was a real tough year in Baton Rouge because there was no off season, there was no spring practice. Um, and so that, that's another thing that I think we're seeing a lot of in college basketball this year as well, not to jump way off track, is that these experienced teams are the teams that at least so far are kind of standing above the rest because this is a, this is a season of you, you really need that experience because there, there hasn't been that practice time in really any sport like we're used to. Yeah, for sure. And it, experience matters and it's always mattered. And, and having a coach like Nick Saban helps and having – um, all these Alabama players that have bought in the program that we've seen, uh, it all it all matters and good for them for completing the the championship and getting it done. And so Nick Saban's the best all time oh, yeah. in your opinion. Yeah. In college football history. And OK, what about what about football history? Are you willing to put him as the best coach in, best football, coach history? in football history? Really? It's it's him versus Belichick, isn't it? That's the that's the and it's so I, fun because they're be kind that. of the same same guy. They're portrayed as the same guy, the the tough coach that runs a tight ship, really disciplined teams, and just always finds a way to win. Um, and him versus Belichick, I think – you know what? Give me give me Saban. I think that Saban has just done so much. He, he, he won at two different schools. He's been dominant the last 12 years, six championships in the last 12 years. And um, also just the way that he's college football, the NFL has changed, but college football has changed a lot. And the way he's adapted uh, all these years, um, really impressive. 
And also all the, the coach turnover that he's had. He's had so many coaches leave his program and more coaches come back. Don't you think, Andrew? 100%. Um, I mean, look at the SEC conference. You've got at least two or three ex-Saban assistants running major SEC programs. And it's only going to keep getting bigger. Like we just said, Steve Sarkeesian to Texas. There's not there. It's, it's not impossible that Nick Saban replaces his defensive coordinator too. There could be two new coordinators in Tuscaloosa. Um, obviously, there's reports Bill O'Brien headed back to the college game to be Saban's offensive coordinator for next year. Saban has turned into the coaching godfather where if you need to go to coaching rehab and re turn your career around, you just knock on Saban's door and you're going to have a head coaching job in a couple of years because the success is there. And I've always said um, it, it takes a lot to do what Bill Belichick's done in the NFL um, and create that culture. But to create a culture of 18 to 22 year olds who are constantly cycling in and out, that is so much more impressive to me than what you can do when you're paying guys millions of dollars to come play for you. And what Saban's been able to do at LSU, at Alabama, before the college football playoff, after the college football playoff, um, in the new age of offense, he is adjusted to everything and he has been the best in just about every area of football. Exactly. And just like we compared the two great teams of 2019 LSU and 2020 Alabama, it's that's splitting hairs. But And so is this. Bill Belichick is also a great coach and you can't go wrong with either one. Exactly. I, I would, I, I'd probably take, even though we don't know how Saban and Belichick work, I, I, if we had to, I guess, say what e both are better at, I would take Saban as the, the um, maybe, I guess, not, I don't know if motivator is the right word, but Sab I'll take Saban's culture and I'll take Bill Belichick to build a team. If we're building a team, I'll take Belichick um, in that regard. But I think just the culture and just the stability and, just I, I don't even know what the word is for what Nick Saban built at, at Alabama. I think I think a dynasty dynasty is selling it short in my opinion. There's got to be something better than that because it's insane. I think um, it, it's more than a dynasty. It's a freaking monarchy. It's essentially of college football of Nick Saban and his whatever team he runs. And the but yeah, fun it's, thing it's about incredible. this is Saban and Belichick are friends. Um, for those that are interested, there's a documentary on HBO that's really good that basically just records a conversation between Nick Saban and Bill Belichick. And they meet up once or twice a year and just talk football and talk life. And if, if you like football, that documentary is something to watch. Who do you think has more fun in their spare time? Oh, Nick man, Saban that's a great question. I'm going Nick Saban because I've seen the videos of him at his lake house. Even though, even though Bill has that fishing boat, uh, I'm going to go Saban. Saban in his lake house has more fun than, than Bill Belichick fishing. Okay, good. Yeah, I think if Bill Belichick goes out on his boat, I think that puts him at a an average mood. I think that's the peak he gets. You know, he goes his his happiest mood is like a three, and that's when he wins a Super Bowl. And other than that, oh, it's no. all it's all either Bill a two Belichick's or a one. happiest but mood. Yeah. Is, Bill I, Belichick is at a seven when it's three a.m. in the morning. He finds a nugget watching film. That's when he, I feel like yeah, he's happier doing that than when he wins a Super Bowl. Yeah, when he finds a when he finds a guy he's gonna draft in the sixth round that's gonna play for him for a decade or so. That that's when he just that that's that's like that and when his kids were born. Those are the two best moments. If I think Bill's got kids. Um but yeah, I'll I will i will definitely go Saban on more fun as well. And I think you got to if you're gonna be coaching these young guys. I wonder how Saban's adapt personality wise 
um, with how the young generation with social media and everything. That's Yeah, well, I've read a few things and the players said that Saban this year more than ever has made them laugh. He's kind of figured out he's kind of figured out that he needs to keep things more light. And uh, he's he's made them laugh more this year. And, and Najee Harris talked about how how he's kind of just been a little bit more fun this year than he's seen before, um, which is which is fun to hear. Good. Good for Nick Saban. Good for Nick Saban, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Um, what I want to do is let's kind of look forward into next season. Just a, a quick glimpse. Obviously, we've talked about it today. We talked about it last episode. You got your big three in college football, essentially, right now. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. All three of those schools, they're, they're all going to be replacing quarterbacks. Um, and so that'll be very interesting to watch. But I, I'm not expecting to see any of those schools drop off too much. Um, and I think like, like the question kind of has been, who are those two to three schools that we see challenging um, for one of those four spots? Yeah, I mean, I think my number one pick would be OU. They kind of started this season slow. Uh, Spencer Rattler has a ton of talent, but it, it was his first season. Not everybody can be Mac Jones uh, and Joe Burrow just succeeding so well in their first season. But by the end of the season, Spencer Rattler really turned it on and was was just pounding. That offense was pounding people. They've got... A lot of guys coming back. The Lincoln Riley is one of the best coaches. So give me uh, Spencer Rattler and OU uh, as the the team to challenge. Okay. I like that. Yeah, no, I think um, really the two teams other than Notre Dame that's been able to get in the playoffs even is just um, Oklahoma and Georgia. And Georgia is a team I like because similarly to OU they they're bringing their quarterback back JT Daniels is back um I've actually seen a lot of Georgia players um that were fringe maybe first round second round early round guys that are declaring to come back in 2021 a couple guys along the defensive line um maybe part of that's because they know what they can do with JT Daniels at quarterback and they only had four or so games of him this year and so I, I definitely think Georgia I've seen Georgia as a preseason number one for a couple people and so I think they're going to be a factor. Another team I really like, North Carolina. North Carolina um, bringing back 18 of their 22 starters. Sam Howell, if there's a quarterback um, for people to look out for next season, Sam Howell at North Carolina, an absolute gunslinger, was going to um, Florida State with Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo obviously goes to Texas A&M. Mac Brown takes the North Carolina job. Flips Sam Howell way back in, what, 2017, I think, at 2018. Um, and his first two seasons have been absolutely incredible. Uh, Mac, I think Mac Brown's building something pretty, pretty good in, um, in North Carolina. They're recruiting at a much higher level than really they ever have. And those 18 of those 22 starters coming back is, is going to be big. And yeah, that, that is a really good sleeper pick. What do you think about Ohio State? Even though losing Justin Fields, do they have a chance next year? I, I, I can't say no just because I know how that team is recruited. Um, they're losing Chris Olave. I've talked about Garrett Wilson, number five, for people who watch the national championship game. Um, sophomore from Lake Travis, he's going to be a first-round pick next year. They've got another kid, Jackson Smith uh, uh, Jigba from Rockwall, Texas, was a true freshman this year. Get ready for him next year. He's going to be a superstar. They've got the weapons on both sides of the ball. Um, Ryan Day is recruiting like nobody but Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban is. It's just going to be the quarterback position. Um, I'm not sure who it's going to be. They've brought in two guys, Kyle McCord and CJ Strode, um, the last two recruiting classes, both five-star type guys. They've got the talent, um, but like we see at a lot of places, a five-star quarterback recruit doesn't turn, always mean um, superstar college football players. So if 
Ryan Day and those guys can get the quarterback position figured out, I think they're going to be just fine. Um, yeah, and then the do you think 10. anybody in the Big Ten can challenge them? Indiana was pretty good this year. Uh, Michigan had a down year, but Michigan can always always challenge. Um, yeah, uh, um, Indiana, they were really one of the main surprise teams this year. They're, they're bringing back 19 of their 22 starters this year, um, including their quarterback, um, Michael Penix, um, their number one receiver. And so we'll see. I have a hard time saying Indiana is going to be able to compete with Ohio State. Um, but, yeah, and then there's Michigan. With Michigan, it's the same question as it was this year. Can Michigan fix the quarterback position? Joe Milton, everyone loved Joe Milton week one. He put on a show, and then Joe Milton clearly didn't have it. And so um, they're bringing in a five-star quarterback, J.J. McCarthy from IMG Academy. I'm not sure if he's going to be ready day one, but this was a guy that was real. He was a main reason Jim Harbaugh is staying at Michigan because um, he wants to play for Jim Harbaugh. He thinks he can help turn Michigan around because Michigan just hasn't had a quarterback in a good – it's been a while now. And so um, that, that's a major question. And then you can even look at – I mean, let's look at two Texas schools. you got Texas A&M, amazing season this past year. Um, Kellen Mond just declared for the draft. So they've got a lot of guys to replace. Um, they're only bringing back 12, uh, six starters on offense, six starters on defense. So a lot to replace. Most of that offensive line is gone. And then Texas, the Sam Ellinger is over. Steve Sarkeesian comes in there. There has been that talk that a, a, there's a, there's, there could be a possibility. Bryce Young goes with Sark from Bama to Texas. I don't think that happens. And for those that um, don't know, Bryce Young was the number two player in the nation last year. He was the guy that a lot of people expected to beat out Mac Jones for the starting job um, as a freshman. But maybe because of COVID, things like that, Mac Jones got the start. So... Um, Texas, they're going to have to figure out the quarterback position again after they finally had some stability. But um, what we saw from Sark is he, he's going to get his best players the ball. And um, Texas has a superstar running back, Bijan Robinson, who who absolutely was rolling at the end of the year. He was only a true freshman. Um, so I'm, I'm waiting for his name to pop up on those Heisman Heisman betting odds because I'm yeah. If, if you I'm haven't seen Bijan Robinson yet, you'll you'll know him next year. He's he's a guy that <laughs> he can do it all. He's got great balance. He's got speed. He's he's got power. He can do everything. Um, he's a guy that's really fun to watch, and and hopefully next year is a big year. And like we said, Sarkeesian knows how to get get the ball to his best players, and that's going to be the guy that he needs to keep unlocking and and get him to his, to reach the highest potential for the UT team to to find success next year. And then also, um, it's been it was a really really sad year for the Pac-12, um, but I I. Brighter ah. days are coming for the Pac-12. Um, I, I really think so. I really do. Oregon, I think Oregon's going to be a team to stay in the top 10 for the next couple years. Um, Tyler Schro was a, a freshman quarterback this year. I think he's – or Tyler Shuck. Looks like Schro, but it's Shuck. Um, he's going to be really good next year. He's Or he's going to be better. He finally got a year of experience. And USC. Andrew, Andrew tells me USC Trojans, is going to go they're over about, the hump every year. Every year they're – a 25 ranked team in the nation by the end of it. I can't deny it, man. That's kind of how it's gone, but Hey, okay. Eight back on offense, eight back on defense. Keaton Slovis is back. USC also signed the number one player in the nation in this most recent, um, this, this 2021 recruiting class defensive end Corey Foreman um, is going to be a monster coming off the edge. I'm just letting you know. Now the star power is coming back in SC Oregon's loading up those two teams. They're they're They are essentially the OU one Texas thing, of the big one thing about, uh, um, 
about USC. That was I watched a few of their games this year, and every game I watched, it seemed like they were down in the fourth quarter. They weren't going to win, and Slovis just turned it on in the fourth. He was he was money in the fourth. So if he can just play every game next year like he played in the fourth quarter this year, I can be a believer. You can talk me into it. Oh, yeah. and But it also is just the craziest thing with USC because those USC fans still want Clay Helton out so bad. They, they want nothing to do with Clay Helton. I think um, USC fans are crossing their fingers that Urban Meyer turns down that, that Jacksonville job and they can hope for another offseason they might get Urban Meyer because I think USC fans have been dreaming about Urban Meyer for about three years now because they're, they're just waiting for Clay Helton to lose a couple, a couple more games. But like you said, USC, this was another year of they just find a way to get it done in the fourth, the fourth quarter. And uh, they, they put together a good year, but they get a lot of guys back. Um, and yeah, Slovis, Slovis, something was up this year, but Graham Harrell, one of the best offensive coordinators in, in college football, he'll be a head coach soon. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like the Trojans, but I'm not sure about next year. But yeah. The, and then the, the, the last conference we haven't talked about is the ACC. We still got Clemson with uh, DJ Ugalele, who we got to see a little bit this year. He's got a cannon for an arm, uh, would be a good quarterback. And then Miami was, was probably the second best team in the ACC this year. They got their quarterback coming back, Derek King, and they just got a big time transfer from OU, Charleston Rambo. Yeah, they uh, did. Yeah, you're hey, right, but you're I right. talked about North Carolina, you, though. Miami. I forgot about that. But no, that, that that's that's a huge deal for Miami. De- just Derek King coming back. Um, it's really I'm not sure what's up with Derek King though because um, he he said he was coming back, and then he tore his ACL, and I'm not even sure what what his future is going to look like if he's going to be able to play most of next year. If he's going to with ACL injuries nowadays, these guys are coming back sooner and sooner. Maybe we'll see him next year. Um, but yeah, that happened. I think the week after he said he right, was coming back, the bowl game. he he tore his ACL. Um, the bowl game, yes. And so we'll see. We'll see if he'll when he'll be back. But yeah, that that's obviously a huge move for Miami. Um, because one thing with college football nowadays that I guess we can touch on is this transfer portal. Guys are transferring left and right, and that's something so far that Manny Diaz at Miami has been able to come in huge with is getting these guys to come to Miami who are transferring. Um, they added Jalen Phillips, defensive end from UCLA last year, and he's probably going to be a first-round pick this year. Um, they, they added Derek King in the transfer portal last year from Houston, getting Charleston Rambo coming in. Um, I think these schools that are in top areas are going to be the main winners from the transfer portal, especially when you have these guys from Florida that maybe go to a different school. I want to come back home shoot, let me go to Miami. Let me go to wherever they might be from. And so that, that's something we've noticed a little bit of. We'll obviously have more. Um, we'll probably have an episode at the end of the offseason about all the transfer portal moves because um, guys are guys are coming and right. going. And like who knows what's going to happen. And with, with all the guys making decisions on go to the draft or stay, there's probably going to be a lot of guys looking for spots. New recruits are coming in. Guys are staying. Other guys are going to be looking for spots. So so who knows where, where some of the big names will end up by the, by the end of the offseason. Yeah, because spots, I don't think a spot on a college football roster has ever been this tight because you've got, like you said, you've got guys transferring. You've got guys going to the draft, maybe staying. This year for NCAA, every senior is getting granted an extra year of eligibility. We're seeing a lot of – Kellen Mond and Sam Ellinger, for example, were two guys, uh, maybe they could be back, maybe they're not. Obviously, they move on. Um, and then, then there's those. that's where those kind of conversations come between coaching staffs and players. Like hard decisions have to be made. Um, to keep keep your guys under the, the the scholarship limit because high school recruits are coming in. Everyone can stay if they want. 
numbers are really tight just about everywhere in college football right now. So it'll be interesting to see who who um, who ends up being the winner because there's a very real chance a team could who could add the right three four guys could make their team two three wins better next year. And so um, we're we're definitely going to start seeing some teams that oh we're, you're not having as much success on the recruiting trail with high school players, but they're bringing in these monster transfers. And so and that that's Deion Sanders at Jackson State. He's bringing in trans. He's bringing in transfer from Alabama. He's bringing in a guy from Ohio State. Um, we'll see what Dion can do yeah. down at Jackson State. It'll but be, it'll be very interesting. But good for college football for getting this season in. Um, definitely had its struggles, but gave us some moments that we'll remember and a, and a great champion for 2020. Can't you got anything else, Andrew? I think I don't have an extra nugget today. Uh, that's that's about, about it for me. I used all my nuggets in our, in our Alabama argument. Wow. Oh, I've got one, actually. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Crazy, Zach. This is about the NFL, though, so it's, it's off topic. But when you look at the AFC, you got four teams remaining. You got the Chiefs, you got the Bills, you got the Ravens, and you've got the Browns. You got Andy Reid. You got John Harbaugh who is a longtime Andy Reid assistant. You've got Sean McDermott, who was a longtime Andy Reid assistant. And then you've got Kevin Stavansky, who isn't an Andy Reid assistant, but he got his first start at Eagles training camp as an intern wow. under Andy Reid. So the entire NFC um, or AFC coaching tree is just a big old Andy Reid tree. So good for him. He's a yeah. legend. All right, we'll I got, I got, I got one that's just a, a small one and one that's not that surprising, but one that just kind of shows Alabama's dominance. Every recruit that Nick Saban has brought to Alabama and they've played at least three seasons, they've got a national championship under their belt. They've got a ring. So just kind of to back up. If you go to Alabama, you'll probably win a championship. You will win a championship. That's insane. Nick Saban can that that's why guys go to Bama and sit, because Nick Saban can quite literally promise them a national championship if they stay three years. That's crazy. Wow. Good, good nugget, Zach. Um, but yeah, that'll that'll do it for this latest episode of the So Close Yet So Far Pod. Thank you to everybody listening. Share it with your friends, family, sports fans all over. Uh, we- 